Monica has already made the big announcement, um, and if we're good, we're going to show you my little baby. <laughs> so first time being a grandfather, um, and I will just a little um, warning right now, if I fall asleep while I'm up here, or if it sounds like I'm speaking in tongues, Austin's got me covered. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think um, for those of you who have been coming for the last few weeks, you know that we are going through a series where we're using the lectionary, which is a, um, a series of passages that a number of different churches use to guide them each Sunday. And every Sunday, what ends up happening when you look at it is you end up having a number of different passages that you can choose from. So you can choose from an Old Testament passage. You can choose from a psalm. You can just choose from a New Testament passage. So it's really sort of up to the person that's preaching to choose which one they want to do. Um, well, Jeff's going to be doing the same one I'm going to be doing, except he's in Nashville. I'm going to be doing it here. And I chose Romans 8. Um, the passage is 20. I'm actually doing 28 through 39. And the reason why I chose Romans 8 is because if you take a look there's some key chapters and passages throughout all of Scripture that sort of are pivotal in defining what God is doing throughout history. Romans 8 is one of those chapters. And I think if you take a look at it, you would see that in Romans 8, it really is defining what does it mean to be a Christian and how do you actually live that life. And so we're going to be looking at the last part, actually, of Romans 8 today. And to give you an idea of how... This, this series of verses we're going to be looking at, um, just how awesome they are, I guess I'll just put it that way. Um, I want to put up a quote. This is by John Stott talking about the passage we're going to be looking at today. And this is what he says. He says, in the last 12 verses of this chapter, which is exactly what we're going to be covering today, Paul rises to sublime heights, which I think are unequaled anywhere else in the New Testament. The burden of this climax, which is what we're looking at in Romans 8, is the unchangeable, irresistible, invincible purpose of God. By it and in it is the eternal security of the people of God, and behind that, the steadfastness of the love of God, which refuses to let us go. That's what we're going to be looking at today within this passage. The way I'm going to do this is a little bit different. I'm going to start at the very end of Romans 8, which is really the conclusion of Romans 8. In some ways, you can look at it as the conclusion of everything in Romans, really everything that's going on throughout history. But I'm going to start at the very end of Romans 8, and then we're going to go backwards to one passage before that in Romans 8, and then go up from there. So we're going to sort of go backwards through part, or at least about a third of Romans 8. So, we're going to begin with Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. And this is what Paul says. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, amen. Can we all say that? <laughs> amen. I mean, thank God. And listen to how he answers that question. He answers it. He says, who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. And when you hear Paul in verse 39, the very last sentence that he says, he uses, if you notice, he uses a word. He says in verse, sorry, verse 38, as his final sentence, he says, for I am convinced in the ESV, it says, I am sure. Paul is saying, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Paul's sure of that. Paul is convinced of that. He's saying that so we also can be sure and we also can be convinced of that. But I know for myself, I know as Christians, we struggle a lot of times with saying, do we really know that God loves us? We struggle in our faith and we ask questions and we doubt. And actually, our even doubting and asking those questions about our faith shows us that we are in that faith. That's exactly what our faith is about. It's about asking those questions. It's about struggling. And I love how Paul Tillich, who's a um, theologian, he wrote a number of different books, but this is what he says um, concerning our faith and our struggles and doubt. He says, the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ is an act of faith and consequently daring courage. It is not an arbitrary leap into darkness, but a decision in which the elements of immediate participation and therefore certitude are mixed with elements of strangeness and therefore incertitude and doubt. And then he says, and this is some good reminder for all of us, but doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. When we doubt, it's not saying we're losing our faith. It's not saying even sometimes that we're questioning, for example, the love of God. It's saying that we're really struggling with our faith. And our desire is to grow in that faith. The other thing that, and actually I have talked about in the last two sermons I've given, is that this certainty is not something that just comes from, oh, I'm certain just because it says it. But really the sureness, the convincing that God really loves us is not just a work of our own. It is the Holy Spirit that God puts in us when we put our faith in Christ. It is he who gives that us that assurance that, yes, I am here. I live inside of you. I'm in a relationship with you. And the two, what I want to do today is I want to look at two areas that Paul talks about that on the surface can appear to be threats against our faith. Things that can threaten about do we really believe in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two perceived threats that Paul talks about that on the surface look as threats against our faith. But as we will see what Paul is showing us, no, 
those are ways in which by looking at them, we can even be more assured of our faith. And so I want to start with verses, we're going, working backwards. I want to start with verses 31 to 34. This is what Paul says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He will, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Look how it starts at, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Have you guys ever felt sometimes like the world is against you? (laughs) That everything that is going on in the world is somehow just hitting you and is against you? And you're just struggling. You're going, whether it's friends saying something or whether it's the world or what you're hearing going on in the world or something inside of you where you just are doubting and you feel this condemnation inside of you. But you feel just a sense of things against you, like you're at war. And that's understandable. That's part of the struggle that we live in. But when you take a look and it says, look what Paul does here, he is saying, if you were to just try to look at these questions he's listing, you'll notice that there's not really, Paul doesn't really answer the question directly. He just asks the question. But I want you to look at how he asks these questions. Because notice, for example, even the part where it says, if God in 31, if God is for us, notice how he says, who can be against us? If we only ask the question, who can be against us, we can probably give a list <laughs> of all those things and all those in the world, etc. We can give a list of all those things that we feel are against us. Even in 33, um, the word charge there, it says, who will bring any charge against those who are in, um, God has chosen? Another word for that is accusations. So not just that people are against us or the world's against us, but we feel they're making accusations against us. But I want you to notice something as you take a look at these questions. If we just ask the question, who is against us? If we just ask the question, who is bringing accusations against us? We are not looking at the totality of what God is doing for us to show us how much he loves us. Because what it shows in these questions is that really because God is for us, in verse 33, because God has chosen us, we really can be assured that those things that are against us to God mean nothing. That they really are null and void. Any charges or accusations brought against us, really God says, you're mine. I've got this. They can't do anything against you. And God wants us to put our confidence and he wants to put our trust in that. And so what we perceive as this threat where we are feeling that against us, Paul wants to remind us that if you are alone, yeah, these things could be really coming against you. They could be accusations. They could hurt you. But when you're feeling that, Paul says, I want you to remember 
that they, those accusations and those charges have nothing against you. That to remind us that God, if God is for us, they can mean nothing. If we've been chosen in God, it can mean nothing. And what Paul also does here is he reminds us something really important. He reminds us, if you take a look at um, verse 34, after he says, who is, who is the one who condemns? And notice how Paul says, no one. He then reminds us again of why those accusations cannot do anything against us or those charges. Because he says, Christ Jesus who died, and he doesn't just stop there. I think a lot of times when we think of the Christian faith, we think, well, if you define the Christian faith, it's about Jesus dying on the cross. Absolutely. And we can feel like, well, maybe that happened. Okay, that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross, but I'm feeling this now. I'm experiencing this now. But Paul's reminding us, because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus is still interceding for us. Jesus right now, all of us, I don't know if you realize this, right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And he has one thing that he is doing that we know for sure. That he tells us here and we know in Hebrews. He is interceding for us. He is actively taking our prayers. He is actively making sure that anything that comes against you, anything that tries to condemn you, that he will not allow that to happen. And that's why when we pray, we're not just praying to God up there somewhere. Our prayers are something that Jesus is hearing right now in heaven. And he is hearing those prayers. He is comforting us through those prayers. He is taking those prayers to the Father. We have God for us in whatever that we're doing. And Paul wants us to, wants to remind us of that. But I want to say there's something that I have seen, um, in Christians a lot in the last couple of years. The trouble me, and I'll be just really honest, the trouble me, because I feel that myself too. And it deals around these passages we're looking at. Is I've seen a big rise among Christians, and I'm just not pointing anybody in general, but just as a whole, I've seen a big rise in us as Christians focusing on those things that accuse us, focusing on those things we feel that are against us. So whether it is the government, whether it's this or that group, whether it's something political, whatever it is, I see this focus where we're always focusing, it seems like, on what the world is doing. And when we focus on what the world is doing, guess what? We are going to feel accusations against us. We're going to feel the world is against us. And I'm going to be blunt. The world is a lot of times against us. But when those accusations and when we're experiencing that and talking about that and and focusing on that, what ends up happening? What happens inside of us? And this is what alarms me is I see more and more Christians in fear as to what is happening in the world. Fearful of what the government's doing. Fearful of what this political group is doing. Fearful of what this these different people in power are doing. And what is supposed to be our faith and our focus on Christ turns to the world and we end up in fear. And uh, yes, Jesus tells us we are not of the world. We are to live in the world. But when we live in fear, 
What we end up doing is turning the light we're supposed to be into darkness. And there's something that it says in Isaiah. When we were going through the Mennonite, we are going through Isaiah. This passage really convicted me and really hit me. Because I think in Isaiah, he is addressing the same type of thing here. Where the, the world is doing all these different things and all of a sudden there's this focus on the world. But listen to what Isaiah says about that. Isaiah says in 8, 11 through 13... And it's interesting, listen to how Isaiah starts, just like Paul starts. This is a couple thousand, you know, a thousand years or so before Paul. He says, for God is with us. That's his reminder. For this is what the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. To us today, don't be terrified of what's going on in the world. Don't get caught up in what other people are all saying in the world. It says, we are to regard only, only the Lord of armies, which is God, Christ. We are to regard God only as holy. Only God should be feared Only he should be held in awe. To me, that is a reminder to all of us where we put our focus. And what I see then is as we get caught up in the world as Christians, and that turns into fear, we end up doing what Paul was talking about in the passage in Romans I just read. We end up feeling condemned. And we feel like we're being condemned by the world. And when we're in fear and we feel condemned, what do we end up doing? A lot of times we end up doing the same thing the world does. We end up condemning others. Our feeling and sense of fear and condemnation turns into us condemning others. And yet in Romans 8.1, Paul opens this whole chapter of Romans that he closes with what we just read, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. He begins that whole chapter of Romans 8 by reminding us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. In Christ, we are no longer condemned. No longer condemned. And so we also don't need to then go and condemn others. That's not even our job. That's not even our role. And in fact, when you take a look at Romans 1, that I think a lot of you have read, when you look at Romans 1, you're seeing Paul talk about what the world and humanity looks like without Christ. And when you read through everything in Romans 1, it's not a pretty picture, (laughs) He's talking about what sin ultimately does to every single one of us without Christ. And every one of us has to remember in Christ that we were once in chapter 1 of Romans, where we are no longer in Christ. I mean, where we were in sin originally, where we were captivated by world of the world and controlled and enslaved to the world and enslaved to sin. Everyone starts in Romans 1. But I love what Paul does because immediately as he jumps to chapter 2, 
Immediately what he does in chapter 2, without skipping a beat. In fact, there was no chapters originally in Romans 1. So he just is reading along. He's saying about how the world is condemned. All those things we look like when we're in sin. And then this is what he does. He then changes subjects immediately. What well, changes and turns it over. And this is what he tells us all in Christ today. This is what he reminds us in Romans 2, 1 through 4. You... That's all of us. All of us who put our faith in Christ, we are the you here. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you... A mere human being passed judgment on them. And here he's referring to those who don't know Christ yet. When you pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? I mean, these are hard words sometimes for us to hear. He doesn't give us any room here. Our job is not to condemn and judge others. In fact, when we do that, when we condemn others, we are taking away the opportunity we're supposed to have to share the good news of Christ with others. To share with others that, yes, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is what we're supposed to be doing in this world rather than going out and trying to condemn others. And so my caution to us today, and this is really to me too, to all of us, is think about the conversations. Think about how you talk with one another, both with fellow Christians, with your family, with others. Listen to your conversations and ask, where's my focus in those conversations? Is my focus is on what the world is doing and how it's against us, or is my focus on Christ? Where is that focus? Because if our focus is on the world, it will elicit fear in us instead of the faith that we need to survive in this world and not feel separated from this world. And know, and know with assurance like Paul that yes, nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the first thing that Paul talks about here as we move up Romans 8. But then he talks about something else, and another perceived threat that I think comes against us and a lot of times feels like it's attacking our faith. And this is a very well-known passage. I'm going to probably expect that, I would think, almost all of you, if not all of you, have heard this passage multiple times. You've said it to others. Others have said it to you. But there are some things that are really important in this as it comes to our faith and it comes to being convinced that God really loves us. And this is what Romans 8.28 says. It says, And you know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. How many of you guys have heard before, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. How many of you heard that? Have you heard that? Yeah. I think we all have heard that. Now, what we sometimes can forget is when Paul uses the word all things, what is he referring to? Well, he's... He's referring to something he just started back up in verse 18. Paul starts verse 18, and we can't look at this section right now without time, but in verse verse 18, Paul starts this whole section that ends in 8.30 with, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So when... Paul says all things, that we know that in all things, he is referring specifically to sufferings in our life. He's referring specifically to the ways in which by living in this world, we suffer. Um, anybody here suffer? <laughs> all right. I won't ask you to raise your hands because I would assume everybody's going to raise their hand. That's what it's like. That's what we go through in this life is we suffer. And there's, that is a, just a fact of who we are today in a broken world. Paul talks about it from Romans 8, um, 8.18. And go home and read this to um, 8.27. There were the chunk we're not looking at right now. But I want to specifically focus on the area where Paul says, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, there's a different purpose of suffering in your life. You know, we can oftentimes doubt our faith because we see the suffering. We see what's going on in our life. We see what's going on in our bodies. We see what's going on with our friends. And we look at all the suffering and the natural, understandable question which we should be answering is, why God? (laughs) Why is there all the suffering in the world? Well, there's a lot of mystery to that that we don't know. But Paul tells us a lot in this passage as to why there is all this suffering, particularly starting at 18 to 29. But it's starting in 28 that he says, as people who put their faith in Christ, there is a purpose to the suffering. And he says, ultimately, the suffering is going to all, always, the suffering is going to end up with something even greater with glory. But he tells us, what is that suffering for right now? So when we're going through it, we're not just questioning God, but we're actually looking to God and knowing what God is doing in our lives through that. And so what I want to do um, is I want to look at this passage and Romans 8, 28 to um, 30. And I want to do so by asking some questions that are the opposite of what you would think. <laughs> I want to take a look and ask the question, what does Romans 8.28 not say? Because we sometimes in our minds start thinking that if some says something, it doesn't. Or we start thinking it's saying something and it doesn't say that. And we, we start believing that and we find out this is not what Paul's saying. This is not what God is saying about what's happening with suffering in our lives. And one way of thinking about this is Romans 8.28. And this is the key, one of the key parts here. It's sort of hard to see by how the different translations um, render Romans 8.28. But the key thing is, you, everyone remember back in English, there's the subject and there's the verb and there's the 
object, okay, or noun. There's there's a subject and object. The subject is what is doing the action, right? Remember that? And it's doing the action to the object. Here, the subject, and this is key, when it comes to the suffering in our life right now, the subject is God. It is God who is doing this. That's really important as we look to some of these ways we misunderstand this passage. So I just want to walk through some of them. So again, what I'm saying here is this is what it doesn't say. And with each of these four points, I'm also saying don't go and say this to people. You might have had people say this to you. And you might actually go and say it to people thinking, oh, you know, I'm trying to really encourage them and build their faith. It's like, because it's not what it says. (laughs) Okay. So the first one. The first thing Romans 8.28 does not say is that all things are good. All things are not good. (laughs) And not all things will become good. All things are not good. I mean, Isaiah 5.28, sorry, 5.20 just states, states it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We talked about the world. There is real evil in the world. Evil is not good. (laughs) A lot of what's happening in the world is not good. Don't call it good. And so don't go up to people who are suffering and say to them, all things happen to you. Everything that's happening to you is good. You know? It's, it's whatever they're going through, you know, whether it's what, what something physical, something emotional, something that's going on with circumstances in their life, whatever it is. Don't go up to them and just say, oh, it's OK. All things that happen to you are good. They're not <laughs> just blunt. They're not good. All right. There are things that happen to us that are not good. The second thing is that all things that are happen are inevitable. All right. That's. What is called fatalism? Christians are not fatalists, which means that we can't do anything about it. It's just going to happen. All right? We have no control. There's nothing. Now, there is a mystery that happens between God's sovereignty and our free will. The Bible says both of those are real, and they somehow work together. But what that doesn't mean, and they do work together, but what doesn't happen is for us to go and just tell people that, oh, that was supposed to happen. You know, it's supposed to happen that you're supposed to get cancer. It's supposed to happen that this happens to you. Um, that is fatalism. All right? Not, not all things that happen are inevitable. So don't go up to people and say, have you ever had anybody do that? And say, Scott, it was meant to happen to you. First of all, do you really think that's encouraging? <laughs> it's not. All right? And we're at, and we're saying something that's really a lie, okay? When we say that to someone, so don't walk up to people and say, "Well, Romans eight twenty eight says it was meant to happen." It doesn't say that. It was not. These things that happen to us are not just meant to happen. Number three, that these all things will work themselves out for good. Good. This is a tricky one, because we can almost think that that's what Romans eight twenty eight says. That all things will work themselves out for good. So we will often say to people, these things that are happening to you will work out for the good. That sounds right, doesn't it? (laughs) Does that sound right to you? Is what Romans 8.28 says, that 
All these things that are happening will work out for good. That's not what it says. It says that God is the one that works in all those things. All things in themselves and by themselves do not just work out for good. They only work out for good in our lives because we have a God that is using those things in our life to ultimately work those things for our good. Do you see the difference? It is God that's doing the work in our lives through the suffering, not the suffering. (laughs) It's not the suffering that's doing the work. It's God through that that is doing the work in our lives. And the last one is that only good things are supposed to happen if you love God. All right. Just going to call it out this one. There is different groups of people who do say that, well, you know, you have this sickness, you have this thing going on inside of you, and it's happening because you're sinning. It's happening because you don't love God enough. All right? Um, and that only good things, somehow we were deceived as Christians to think that only good things happen to Christians. Well, I think for all of us who are who know God, know that that just is a lie, too. That is not true. The Bible never says that's true, and that it is not true, and Romans 8 is never saying that. So to go around and say to someone, if something bad happens to you, let's like look at the sin in your life. Let's look at why you somewhere you must have sinned, somewhere you don't have enough faith. It's a lie. I'm just going to say it. It's a lie. All right? That is not what Scripture says. Never says that. So don't go around to people and, and say that to them. This is what Romans 8.28 says, all right? It says that for the... So first of all, it's directed to those who have a relationship with Christ, who believe in God, who have placed their faith in God. This is directed to those of us in faith already with God. And what it's saying is that for those who love God, God works together with all the things that happen in our lives And he somehow in a mysterious way, we don't understand how, but he says he's doing this. So we, so he says he's doing this and we, and believing and knowing that he loves us, it is, he's saying that he is working everything. God works together with all that happens and he orchestrates all this and engineers it for our good. So God is working this the things going on in your life right now, he is working that for good. Now, the question comes, what is good? <laughs> All right. And Paul answers that for us. In 829, Paul says, let me go back to eight, on 829, what does he say? He works, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those who God foreknew, who he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What God is working towards good in our lives is really he's working for us to look more like him. Look more like Christ. Love more like Christ. But you know what? Also, look at look at Jesus. What did he do? He suffered and ultimately died on the cross on behalf of us and for us. 
And so as Christians, the suffering a lot of times, not say all the time, the suffering that's happening in our lives are God's way of saying, this is to help you become more like his son, who is the one who ultimately suffered all for us. So the purpose of the good is to make us look more like Christ. And it's interesting, there's a place that Paul sort of gives us a little more of a hint of this. Because in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, listen to Paul how, how Paul takes what's happening to him and then reveals what, that, what God is doing with that. So in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, Paul says, and so he's going through a lot. Of, if you guys read the New Testament and you read about Paul, it's like, ah, no, I don't want to be like him. <laughs> I mean, he went through everything to such an extreme. And you look at his faith as a result of that. And here he's just giving an example. He says, we do not want you, this is Paul and the people he's with, <clears throat> we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired for life itself, of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had even received the sentence of death. But listen to what Paul says. He says, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why does suffering happen in the world? Ultimately, what God wants to do is work that in our lives to become more like him. And what does that look to become more like him? That we rely on him more and more and more. Trust him more and more and more. When I look at Christians who have gone through a lot of suffering, what I see in their lives, some of the guys on Tuesday night were even sharing this last Tuesday night, Tuesday night. When you look at the suffering that they've gone through, you see someone who is more and more like Christ, who puts their trust more and more in Christ, who love God and are sure of that more and more. And that's what suffering is to be used for, is God is the one doing the work. He's doing the work in us and through us for him to orchestrate the good which is to become more like him and put our trust more in God. Um, N.T. Wright, um, I think, sort of sums us up really well. He says, this is how, Romans 8, 28 to 29, this is how God works in the world, with and through those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. The purpose is not simply, I've been called so I belong to God. It's I've been called so I can be part of God's work in the world. And so here's the last part of suffering that happens in our lives. Another purpose behind God's suffering is that we are not just suffering ourselves, but it's that we use that suffering to come along others, along others who are suffering too. That is really what it means to be a Christian. We are part of a community. And even for those who are not Christians, it's to come alongside them and suffer with them. That is what it's like to be Christ for others. It's not just to be there when things are going good for them, but be there when they are having to really, when they're going through a lot of suffering. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, Paul, uh, Paul says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. So when we go through something, he's comforting us. Why? So that we have a purpose for that, which is that we can go and comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. When we're suffering, God is going to use that one day so we can come alongside others who are suffering. When you see someone suffering today, come alongside them and show them how much you love them, how much God loves them, how much you were there when things are really, really hard for them. And you don't, so many times, you don't have to say anything. You just have to be there for them. That's the most precious thing we can do for others who are suffering. So to just sort of wrap all this up and summarize it, this is from Michael Gorman. I just love what he said. This sort of wraps this all together. <clears throat> He's um, He wrote a commentary on Romans just recently has come out. He says, It is critical to remember that our suffering is never a sign of God's departure and absence, but is rather an occasion of God's presence and participation. This knowledge comes from our recognition that God, our heavenly adopted father, has already, I love this, hyper-loved us, (laughs) hyper-loved us through Christ and continues to do so through the Spirit. Such love cannot be conquered, for it is the ultimate form of victory in this life and for all eternity. No matter what comes, God's love, Christ's love is certain. No matter what comes, we can claim what Paul claimed, which is that everything, all this is being used because God will never, our, the, our God's love will never be separated from us. God is always here for us. We can be sure of that. And so, <clears throat> I have an assignment for you, right? I thought about this because I don't know if you guys have ever seen, you know, when you're scrolling through your feeds and stuff, all right, is there's articles about how people are saying, you know, I'm going to do this diet for 30 days. I'm going to eat McDonald's restaurant for 30 days and see what happens to my body, okay? Um, I'm going to do this exercise for 30 days and see what happens, all right? Here's my challenge for you. If you struggle, and again, that's really all of us. If you're struggling at really knowing that nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God, go and read Romans 8, the entire chapter. We've not covered so much today. Read Romans 8. Read it every day. It takes five minutes. Five minutes of your day. Read Romans 8 every day for 30 days. And I would love to hear What does that do as far as your faith in Christ? Does that build your faith to be reminded over and over daily that nothing will separate us from the love of God? Amen. I want to ask you to all stand. Just a reminder. Good food out there. <laughs> um, to Tony and Gary brought food today, and I was hearing what they've got. So, yeah, go and eat afterwards if you can. And I just want to pray as a benediction today over you. I want to, um, I'm going to repeat this Romans 8 
38 through 39, but it's in a different translation because I love how it, this translation comes across. It's what's called the, the modern, um, the New Testament of modern English. But this is my prayer for all of us. And this is what, this is what, um, this Paul says through this translation. He says, I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. Great day. Thank you.